Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, this is Tristan Nunez, driver of the 7-0 Skyactiv Mazda prototype, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the January 23rd edition of Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This is episode 177 of the series. First off, we'd like to congratulate our our intro guy there, Tristan Nunez, on winning the poll for this, this weekend's Rolex 24 at Daytona. We'll be going into that in a little bit more detail later in the program. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Mulally and myself will be recapping this past few weeks of racing, previewing upcoming action, and discussing whatever other topics pop into the conversation. Recently, we partnered with Waldorf Publishing to bring some insight into their authors and some of the books they're currently working on. With that in mind, we'll be highlighting a variety of authors over the next several weeks. We have a couple more, I think, scheduled for the next few weeks, so that should be cool. And for more information on the series, check out the Storytime for Grown-Ups Author Spotlight series, currently available on For Borg Plum's Fantastic Finds. Our first guest tonight is Wanda K. Knight. Wanda lives in the Pacific Northwest and has been a literature teacher for many years. She strives to keep up with her adventurous Flash competitive family who are rock climbers, kayakers, and skiers. She spends time creating things out of yarn, usually unique hats and such, and her favorite stores are the rock and gemstone stores. She's the author of a series of books for young audiences. The first book, The Peacock Door, is written around eight young cousins who are told to stay away from the doors. They go through the doors and end up in magical lands, similar to what happens in the wardrobe in the Chronicles of Nardia. In order to get home, they have to find the other keys to get back. In her second book, The Emerald Key, they return for yet another adventure. On this journey, loyalties will be tested as lies and treacheries reveal ultimate truths. The Emerald Key is an adventure into beginnings, betrayals, and redemptions. We are now pleased to welcome Wanda K. Knight into the program. Hello, how are you doing this evening? Well, hi, how are you? Nice talking well, to you. Pretty well, pretty well. had a... Had a long time off, but we're ready to get back into it now, so should be a good year of, <laughs> of fine programs here, we're hoping anyway. Well, that's true. Let's hope for the best for this new year, right? There we go. First off, can you tell us a little bit more about your books? Well, you know, I, I think your intro said a whole lot about it. The, uh, the Peacock Door is a story about eight cousins. They're divided into three uh, groups. And they go through, their grandma takes them out to this tree house. It's an old ramsackle tree house. And she's kind of a strange old lady and, and tells them not to go through the doors, that they can only go in and out the peacock door. That's where the, it got its title from. But as kids will do, they slip on through the wrong doors. And they find themselves in these magical lands where basically their loyalties are tested, they're lost, they need to find each other, and they need to find a way home. And in order to find that way home, they've got to uh, search for keys. They've got to they've got to find the keys that will actually get them home. And so that's basically what it's about. It's uh, eight cousins discovering things about themselves and learning some lessons on the way as they do it. And what do you help people learn from reading your books? Well, you know, I'm hoping that um, whenever kids are reading uh, this book, these books, and and the second one too, the second one is the is the Emerald Key, and it's. It goes. They end up going back 
through the doors. But I'm hoping that that there are lessons that are interwoven in there, not in a preachy type way, kind of in a fun allegorical type way, where if they aren't actually looking for the lesson, it's just a story. But it's kind of woven into the story, lessons about life, lessons about greed. Um, These paths take them on all these twists and turns, and they're always having to decipher things to get there. So I suppose that I'm hoping when young people uh, read or listen to the books that they will actually, you know, pick out some ideas, kind of like in all the the, uh, books that we you know, that we read, we hope that there's a lesson to be learned, uh, that it says something in, in between the journey. That's what I'm hoping, I guess. How has writing changed your life? Well, you know, on the whole, I, I don't know that it's changed anything that much because I've written different things for all of my life. Uh, I've always kind of written plays and written short stories and this and that, so I'm kind of used to that. But writing these books that, you know, the bigger books that I'm writing now, I suppose it's really taught me a certain amount of self-discipline. It seems like writing books, there's no guarantees. You know, you don't know for sure if if it's going to sell. You don't know if it's going to make its way onto the market. And so there's a lot of hours that you're putting into something just because you feel this need to write. And so I suppose it's taught me to get in there and do something just for the love of doing it and to discipline myself, uh, you know, to doing it without getting over anxious because it takes a long time uh, to write a book and, and, uh, just leave it happen the way it's going to happen a little bit. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and if my <laughs> listeners are interested in, in <laughs> if my listeners are interested in in learning more about the Peacock Door and the Emerald Key, where would they go to find out? Well, um, you mean as far as where you could uh, buy it or that kind of thing? Yeah. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, Waldorf Publishing is is the publisher, and so they have it on their site. They could also find it on Barnes and Noble, and of course Amazon and and all those kind of places. And there's the audio version and the hardcover and the soft cover and Kindle and everything else. So it, it you know it has various formats. It's you know pretty well out there. Um, yeah. So it's just that, you know, in, in all the normal places where you would buy a, a book. Local boat, uh, booksellers also um, sell it here in the Pacific Northwest. So that's awesome. good. You know, mm-hmm. it's, finally, it's finding an audience, and that's always good, you know. <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. That's know? important. Well, let me go ahead and oh, throw yeah. you out to my, my co-host, Michael Lally, who's out there in the Pacific Northwest as well. She's in the in Washington State, and she has a couple of questions for you as well. Oh, okay, great. So my first question for you, what inspired the Peacock Door? You know something? When I was young, um, I remembered reading A Wrinkle in Time, and uh, I loved books like A Wrinkle in Time and The Chronicles of Narnia. And there's that last scene 
in A Wrinkle in Time, where if you have or haven't read it, it's the big sister is taking care of uh, her, her brother, and the the it is trying to you know, absorb him in, and she learns this lesson within this fabulous story. She learns this lesson that love is what she needs to to use to draw him out rather than hate because she's tempted to hate this thing and um when i was reading that as a kid i of course like most of us had a very turbulent childhood and things going wrong and it was like when i read that it touched something inside it taught me something and believe it or not that simple lesson because it was written in this beautiful, fun story to read, made a difference in my life. And I always said, whenever I grow up, you know, I want to write a book. You know, I want to write a book. I'm going to write something like that, you know, like that. Well, you know how it is. Time goes on. You have your kids. You do this. You do that. And finally, the time came where I said, if I don't get this done, you know, I'm, this is going to be a disappointment to myself. So at that point, I I had grandchildren, and I says, I'll just name the characters after my grandchildren, mm-hmm. and I'm going to write this allegorical, metaphor, you know, kind of a fantasy-type story, and I was just going to use their names. But strangely enough, as I was writing, I got more grandkids, and before you know it, I had eight, so I put all their names into the book. And slowly, those actually became, the characters took on a lot of their characteristics. So I suppose that I was inspired both by what I had read when I was young, and then as I got older, I was inspired by the family that was going on around me. And how many more books do you foresee yourself writing in the future? Well, I started with The Peacock Door. And then the Emerald Key, which is where the kids actually go back into the lands um, a different way, a different route. They have to, you know, they'll be trade and all kinds of things happen in that. And when I finished that one, again, it was like, well, people wanted to know more, which was a little bit scary. But <laughs> I said, okay, I will try writing a third one and finishing it off, you know, so that there's actually a trilogy. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm actually writing on the third book uh, now, and uh, hopefully we'll finish it up. In the meantime, I'm also uh, writing some small uh, books, just kids' chapter books about heroes in history type thing, you know, um, kids who have overcome great odds to, to grow up and do fantastic things for this world. And finally, when I get all of that done, <laughs> there is – Another book that I started on a long time ago, it's a story of uh, a Native American family, kind of a true story, uh, going through a lot of trials and tribulations, and it will be a generational story, somewhat like the Thorn Birds, where you see what happens as the generations uh, shift and change, and as time goes on. So... Hopefully, when I get done with all of that, (laughs) I will probably be done. (laughs) So that's what I'm hoping for. But I would like to finish all of those, yes, before I set the pen down. And maybe more. Who knows? 
And where is the craziest place you've jotted down an idea for a book? Oh, my goodness. You know, I was thinking about this, and, you know, I think I'm like anybody else. I don't have any place particularly crazy that I've written down books, but, uh, you know, ideas. But it is true that whenever you're out there and you're just, you know, you're, you're uh, driving around, it seems like when you're driving and when you're showering, that's whenever the, the ideas flash into your mind. So I, I do keep a piece of paper and pencil right beside me when I'm driving because sometimes everything comes out perfect. You get, you get like a perfect paragraph, you know, and uh, you, you, you write it down, pull over, write down, keep going again. Out of the shower, you slip on your robe and hurry up and write your paragraph down <laughs> and, and then finish your shower. Um, and, then, and sometimes when I'm really in the mood, um, I usually take a piece of paper and pencil and I just lay it on the bed kind of beside me or on the little dresser beside me. And if I get an idea in the middle of the night, I don't even turn the light on. I just kind of like jot it down. I can hardly read it in the morning, but it's enough so that whenever I wake up, I can remember what it was that occurred to me while I was sleeping. So (laughs) it's like, it's like, it's easier whenever you get these flashes of insight, they're what keeps you going you know, because the rest of the time, whenever you're sitting there trying to write, it's like, I don't know what to do now. You know, it's like you're following the journey also. And sometimes it's just plain work. So any of those little flashes of inspiration, you definitely want to take advantage of them and write them down. (laughs) So, yeah, that's about how I do that. (laughs) And my final question for you this evening what is your favorite part about the Pacific Northwest? Well, you know, whenever we moved up to the Pacific Northwest, I specifically loved the beauty. This is a very beautiful area to live in. My kids are, of course, grown now, but my kids and grandkids are all, you know, snowboarders and skiers and rock climbers and kayakers, even class five kayakers, all of those kind of activities. So I suppose that part of what I love the most about living in the Pacific Northwest is this beauty and the ability to to get out and do all these fantastic things, you know, even though I don't rock climb or anything like that, but it's fun going with them. Um, yeah, I and it just drives in the mountains, you know, and drives along the the tumbling rivers and and or going out to the ocean. I tend to like the outdoors a lot, and uh, that's been my favorite part of being in the Pacific Northwest. Well, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show this evening. We know we had to reschedule you a couple of times, but thank you very much for coming on, and hope you have a a great new year and. Hope your work on your next few novels goes really well as well. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was uh, fun coming on here and talking about these books. And I hope that anybody that goes out there and gets them, I hope their kids enjoy them. So far, it's it's been a lot of fun to see where this goes and to uh, you know talk to some of the kids that have read them and know that they really they like it. So. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. You have a wonderful evening also. 
Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Once again, that was Wanda K. Knight, who's the author of, a, of several different books, specifically The Peacock Door and The Emerald Key. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we're going to have another glimpse into the literary mind with another author from Waldorf Publishing. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner? Maybe you're just a huge fan of sports. Contact either Michael Mullally or myself to get your spot on the show. After all, you deserve your 15 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. Our next guest this evening is Dakota Dickerson. Dickerson has been racing since he was six years old, starting in go-karts, and is a past champion in the F4 United States Championship. In his first year of racing cars, he won a driver development scholarship from Brian Herta Autosports, two-time Indianapolis 500 winning team, a karts-to-cars scholarship from Skip Barber Racing School, and was chosen to be one of two drivers to represent the United States overseas via the Team USA Scholarship Dickerson later, was, Dickerson later was a Mazda Motorsports scholarship driver in the USF 2000. With this initial success, he hopes to continue on to the Verizon IndyCar Series and recently competed in the P- P3 race at Daytona International Speedway during the Roar before the Rolex 24. We are now pleased to welcome Dakota Dickerson to the program. Hello, how are you hey doing guys, this evening? Thanks for having me on. Hey, how's Thanks it going? for coming back. Thanks for coming back. It's great to have no, you on the program again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. First off, how does driving a P3 compare to the Formula cars you've been racing in for a little while? Um, it's it's quite a bit different. You know, the the P3 car isn't that much different than a Formula car in the sense that it's you know it's very stiff chassis. It's got a lot of arrow. The braking's quite good. It's got a V8 power plant in the back that puts out over 400 horsepower. So relative to the F3 drives relatively similar, but the biggest difference is obviously you're going from the sprint racing aspect and the formula cars going into now endurance racing. So we have an hour and 45 minute races and three hour races throughout the year. So kind of the, the mindset of driving is quite a bit different. You're working with the teammate, sharing the car, you're conserving tires, conserving fuel, doing live pit stops. So there's a lot more that goes on, during the race, uh, there's a lot more variables. So as a driver, you kind of have to adjust your style. And certainly it's a little bit different than kind of the all-out, you know, bare-knuckle fight that a Formula 3 is, but it's still just as exciting in my opinion. I watched the uh, the prototype challenge race again uh, this afternoon in preparation for the show. saw that you were up in the, in the front for quite a bit of the race there. And with your success in the race, are there any other prototype races on your schedule for this year? For sure. I mean, Daytona was a really interesting one because we, we started the race in the wet and then it stopped raining about 30 minutes in. So it slowly dried out. And like you said, we were leading with about 35 minutes to go. And then a yellow flag bunched up the field and got passed by a couple of cars at the very end. So we still managed to get a podium, which was great for the team. And certainly, you know, for Liget and everything, it was, it was a good way to start the season. And definitely we're looking up uh, in the, Future prototype ranks, obviously, kind of the next step from LMP3 would be the P2 class for us. So looking mm-hmm. at some options to try and get a Ligier P2 into the IMSA field. Ligier's got a really great presence over in Europe in the P2 category. The P2s here are kind of more dominated by the Orica chassis, so it would be great if there was a continued partnership. Obviously, you know, Ligier has a huge presence in F4, and F3 is the uh, sole manufacturer of the chassis for there. So being able to win with them in Formula 4 and then win the championship in Formula, Formula 3, excuse me, 
and then now racing uh, with one of their cars in prototype challenge is um is definitely a nice continuation so if we can keep on winning with with their chassis and move up into the p2 ranks i think that would be really good for everybody involved are you going to be at the rolex 24 this weekend i won't be unfortunately i'm actually in my home state uh there's the f4 and f3 west coast championship with exclusive Mm -hmm. racing so kind of like the winter series for f4 and f3 so i'm working with velocity racing development and uh, working with a couple of young drivers out here. So getting them ready for the full season of formula four and formula three. Um, so unfortunately I couldn't be at Daytona, but I'll be, I'll be watching on my phone and, and spotting for the kids out on track and, and making sure they're all taken care of. So it's uh it's going to be a good one. Um, we've got a lot of really talented drivers out here, especially with VRD uh, Hunter uni and, and Kiffin Simpson are, are out here with us. So should be a fun way to spend the weekend. Awesome. What is it like to race on the high banks of Daytona, specifically racing in the rain? It's definitely a lot of fun. I mean, Daytona is kind of like when, when I was in USF 2000 racing at IMS, it's one of those tracks that you're just kind of awe, awe-inspired at. It's, you know, it's got so much history. So when you're actually racing at the venue, the first couple of laps are, are super surreal. Um, but then when you get onto the banking, it's, it's incredible. The, when you do the track walk, it's actually hard to walk the track because there's so much banking there and when you're in the wet it's surprising how much grip there is just because of how much load there is in the car the car has so much arrow that even when it was in torrential downpour on the banking it was incredibly easy to drive which is kind of a, a testament to those cars nowadays but um it's it's a lot of fun you know drafting and kind of some of the pack racing that gets involved with running on a on a roval that daytona is it's it's a lot of fun and my last question for you at least in until Michael's done with you. What do you see yourself in five years? In five years, hopefully I'm, I'm winning some, some championships in, in IMSA, hopefully in a DPI or in some sports cars as well. Obviously we've run with Honda in F4 and F3, and they've got a great program in TCR and, and in GTD with their actor NSX. So I'd love to try and win some championships with them too, but we're getting to a point now in my career where we've had a lot of, um, time to develop myself as a driver. Um, so, you know, taking that experience now into the professional ranks where if we can get in with some of these top teams or, or continue working with some of the teams that we're working with to get into the top levels of racing and, and eventually win some championships there, I think that's the ultimate goal, in, you know, the next three to five years. There you go. Well, now I'd like to throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mullally in Freda, Washington, who has a couple of questions for you as well. So with your two recent championships under your belt, can you tell us what you do to handle the pressure of the racing season? For sure. I mean, the two championships, definitely, it's kind of unique. I'm super super fortunate to have been able to do that. took a lot of hard work and a lot of teamwork, too, both with, you know, F4 and DC Autosport and then F3 Americas with Global Racing Group. So there's definitely a little bit of pressure that comes with winning two championships because there's certain expectations that come with it. But for me, you know, the – the biggest thing is taking it race by race. We evaluate every race. We prepare for every race just as any other one. We're, we're going to be doing the same program, you know, both mentally, physically, the team's always working hard to make sure the car's prepped. And when we're at the track, they're consistently developing the car, just like I'm consistently trying to develop myself as a driver. So I guess the foundation of what I'm doing never really changes. It's just, we have a little bit extra pressure and, a little bit extra expectations that come with winning two championships, but certainly having those two championships is kind of, you know, motivating me to get a third, especially now moving into the prototype ranks. I think it would be really, 
really spectacular if we could have two back-to-back championships in Formula cars and then move over to the sports car ranks and get a championship there too. And would you consider yourself to be of the very competitive nature? Absolutely, yeah. I think for me, that's 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 what I love about racing, and I think that's what drives me every day is just to to be the best. It's really racing is one of those sports that's incredibly difficult to be perfect, whether it's lap to lap or corner to corner or year to year, both on track and off track, whether it comes to sponsorships or interviews or really any aspect, it, it really drives somebody uh, to, to be the best that they can be. And it's, it's a really hard thing to achieve. So for me on a personal level, I think I love it because it drives me to be the best version of myself. And also it's so competitive out there nowadays, you know, all the, the majority of the drivers out there are incredibly talented so being able to say that you're the top of the, you know, you're one of the best of the best is, is definitely something that I think I can hold my, my head high for. And what does a typical race weekend look like for you? So for, for me, usually, I, I mean, we, it kind of depends. We we're I'm on, I'm on West coast time. So I'm down in San Diego. So going over to the East coast, we usually try and fly out a day early to get acclimated to the time change, spend some time with the team. Uh, usually the first couple of days are just getting used to the track and making sure the car is baseline and getting myself comfortable again. There's usually six to eight weeks in between the prototype challenge races. So there's not, um, you know, it's not like you're in the car super often. So the first couple of sessions are just getting up to speed again. But then after that, it's basically head down. How do we strategize and focus on winning? And there's a lot of cool things that happen behind the scenes, like strategy and also some media stuff working with the series for driver autograph sessions and having kids come into our pits and interacting with the fans and things like that. So there's a lot of really cool things that happen behind the scenes. So we're actually trying to this year create like a video series that we'll put up on our YouTube channel where we can show some of those behind the scenes features that you wouldn't necessarily get to see just because there there's, there's so much more that goes on in racing just than what's on track and what you see on TV that I think it's, it would be really special to be able to bring the fans into that aspect of, you know, what, what does a driver experience throughout the weekend? And even to that extent, what does a driver do to even get to the racetrack? Because there is so much that goes into the preparation of a driver, both on the business side of it and on the physical side of it uh, too. There's, there's so much that goes into it. So I, we're trying to put together a video series that's going to come out on our social media channels and on YouTube to try and give some fans some insight into that. And my final question for you tonight, with racing being honestly probably one of the coolest sports out there, if you weren't driving a race car, what would you prefer to be doing? So for me, I mean, I I, I really enjoy the business side of racing. So I, I love kind of business development. And I think I could see myself working for a company doing that you know, in terms of just like your standard job if I needed to make a living outside of racing. I also really, really enjoy coaching. That's why I'm out here at Auto Club Speedway working with Velocity Racing Development. So that's another thing that I could definitely see myself doing, staying in the racing industry. But if I were to choose one thing that I could do, regardless of money or making a, a means of living, I'd say like working with animals is a really big thing for me. So I've, I just have like a super soft spot for, for animals and rescues in particular. So we work with a couple of charities, one's sh- Shelter to Soldier. Uh, they rescue dogs. Their whole motto is saving lives two at a time. So they rescue dogs from shelters and then pair them with um, military members with PTSD or TBI. So it's kind of the whole motto of, of connecting those two 
parties and, and putting them together to save two lives. And then the other charity that we work with is called Nowzad, and they uh, they rescue dogs off the streets of Afghanistan and put them into the only veterinary clinic in Afghanistan and take care of those animals and they put them up for adoption if if available and, and give them some loving loving home. So I think that's something that I'd really like to do if I had more time and could um, spend spend some more time doing that. Well, that's awesome. And, uh, thanks again for coming on the program tonight. Maybe we can talk to you again after after Sebring and see how you're doing then. Absolutely. would love to come back on. Thanks for having me and enjoy the night. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Once again, that was Dakota Dickerson, who's been on the program once before. We'd like to thank him again for coming on the program tonight, and hopefully he has a, a great year in the Prototype Challenge Series, driving in the P3 Liget. And we'd love to talk to him as we stayed after Sebring. Hopefully that will come to pass. The 58th running of the Rolex 24 Daytona Sports Car Endurance Classic is was less than three days away now. The rhetorical clock is ticking, leading up to a Saturday afternoon when the real clock comes into play. The Rolex 24, the season opening race for the International Motorsports Association, IMSA, WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, starts at 1.40 p.m. Saturday at Daytona International Speedway. Competitors will then face one of motorsports' most challenging events, a twice-around-the-clock excursion on the 3.56-mile DIS road course, four WeatherTech Championship classes, Daytona Prototype International DPI, Le Mans Prototype 2, LMP2, GT Le Mans, GTLM, and GT Daytona GTD will simultaneously will, will simultaneously for the overall and the separate class titles. Beneath the overview of one of Motorsport's premier races lies a plethora of storylines supporting the undeniable re, oh my Lord, re, resurgence of the Rolex 24 in recent years. That resurgence has coincided with a reimagined IMSA, which has made the 2014 merger of Grand Am Road Racing and the American Le Mans Series a sparkling triumph to benefit to the benefit of North American sports car racing fans. I'm going to go off script for a second and, and tell people that tomorrow there will be a news conference at 11.45 a.m., which will detail the, the next phase of the the great American road racing experience when IMSA and the European Le Mans series in conjunction with the ACO might end up actually going underneath the same rules. Now, there hasn't been a lot of information released on that yet. I will try and cover that a little bit this weekend. It depends on how much I'm able to get on the computer or not. But be sure to check that out. That's definitely a big, huge step in the future of, of uh, prototype racing, and it will be really important for the future of all motorsports. Each season, it all starts amid the cosmic backdrop, the world center of racing in the city where IMSA was founded in 1969. Every year at the Rolex 24, the buzz inevitably begins with the entry lists. This race is renowned for attracting an all-star field featuring drivers from other racing disciplines, such as NASCAR, IndyCar, and Formula One. This year fits the mold as two-time and reigning NASCAR Cup Series champion Kyle Busch heads the must-see list co-driving the number 14 AIM Vassar Sullivan Lexus in the production-based GTD class, making his Rolex 24 debut. Other entry list highlights. Reigning Indianapolis 500 champion Simon Peganod is entered as our five other former Indy 500 winners, Scott Dixon, Ryan Hunter-Ray, Juan Pablo Montoya, Helio Castroneves, and Alexander Rossi. 
Dixon, Paginaw, Montoya, Hunter Ray, and Sebastian Bourdais are the past IndyCar Series champions entered. There's more NASCAR flavor in the Grand Sport class of the four-hour BMW Endurance Challenge event on Friday. NASCAR's up-and-comers Haley Deegan, Austin Sindrick, and Chase Briscoe in the Multimatic Motorsports Ford Mustang GT4s. The number 15 will be piloted by Sindrick and Seb Priol, and the number 22 by Briscoe and Deegan. Back to the Rolex 24-gear racing powered by GRT, Grasser is set to compete in the number 19 Lamborghini Hurricane GT3 with an all-female lineup of Christian, Christina Nielsen, Catherine Lege, Tati Calderon, and Ray Rolf Ray. Nielsen and Lege, Lege, Lege have a combined 13 starts in the Rolex 24 and co-drove on the Meyer Shank Racing all-women's team at last year's Rolex 24. The defending race champion team from Wayne Taylor Racing returns with an altered lineup in the number 10, Konica Minolta Cadillac DPI. Taylor, also a Rolex 24 champion as a driver in his younger days, is now fielding a team without both of his accomplished sons, Jordan and Ricky Taylor. Jordan has departed Wayne Taylor Racing for the legendary GT organization Corvette Racing. His exit was prefaced last year when Ricky joined Roger Penske's IMSA team. This year's WTR roster consists of Dixon, former IndyCar star Ryan Briscoe, plus returnees Ranger Van Der Zand and Kamai Kobayashi. Off-track items of note start with this year's Grand Marshal, the immensely popular and successful Christian Fittipaldi, who retired from competition after last year's Rolex 24. Fittipaldi, nephew of open-wheel racing legend Emerson Fittipaldi, won the Rolex 24 three times in his career. There will also be plenty of activities for fans to enjoy throughout the Rolex 24 weekend, including the Taste of the 24. For the 11th consecutive year, the NASCAR Foundation will host its Taste of the 24 event. Held in the Midway Suites, fans can indulge in delicious foods from Daytona area restaurants while enjoying live entertainment. They will also be entered to win a Rolex watch. I'll be talking to someone who will be attending that this weekend, so we'll we'll get some inside information on that, and hopefully I can share it with you next week. The Heritage Exhibition. A number of historically significant race cars will be on display all weekend long inside the UNOH fan zone. Cars featured include sports cars from 1965 to 2013, the race in the Rolex 24 at Daytona with a strong focus on cars from the various prototype eras. On Saturday morning, the participating cars will turn demonstration laps and parade lap around a portion of the road course. Rolex 24 Boardwalk and Ferris Wheel. Fans can visit the infield for a wide selection of food and carnival rides, including one of the largest Ferris wheels on the East Coast, which allows them to watch the race from 150 feet in the air. There's also one of the world's largest autograph sessions there, where nowhere else in the world will fans find some of the greatest sports car drivers all signing autographs at the same time and in the same location. The UNHOH Fan Zone will host the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship autograph session prior to Saturday's race. With all the Rolex 24 drivers participating, it's one of the largest autograph sessions in all of sports. The IMSA 24 premiere at One Daytona, which took place Wednesday last night before the team took to the track, where race fans were able to get up close and personal to the cars and drivers during this fan-friendly event at One Daytona again, across the street from the Daytona National Speedway. It took place from 6 to 8 p.m. 
Unfortunately, the weather there was really, really bad, and I don't think it was exactly the best event that they've had thus far. But hopefully the weather will improve. It's scheduled to improve tomorrow and through the weekend, although it'll be a little chilly. But I do have my yellow hat all packed up and ready to go. There's also called car manufacturer and vendor displays with a paved infield midway jam-packed with manufacturer and vendor displays. Carfnac can find the latest information on some of their favorite race teams straight from the makers of the machines themselves. This will be the annual celebration of speed at one Daytona that takes place tomorrow from 6 to 8 p.m. I'm not sure how that's going to go and whether we're actually going to attend that, but it looks like it'll be an interesting thing for fans who enjoy the good cars and want to help a good cause. Tickets for the Rolex 24 at Daytona, the 62nd annual Daytona 500 on February 16th, and other Speedway events can be purchased online at DaytonaNationalSpeedway.com or by calling one hundred pit shop. Fans can stay connected with Daytona International Speedway on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, and Snapchat, and also by downloading Daytona International Speedway's mobile app for the latest Speedway news throughout the season. Over the weekend, Ken Broxton earned an emotional victory in the second round of the 2020 Monster Energy AMA Supercross in St. Louis. Broxton last won a Monster Energy Supercross race nearly three years ago to the day on January 14, 2017 in San Diego. However, what Broxton has had to endure and fight through to get back to the winning cycle makes this a truly unique story. At a race in Anaheim in 2017, Roxton was launched from his bike, landing 30 feet from takeoff with the full weight of his body crushing his arm. He nearly lost his arm and endured 12 separate surgeries to not just return to racing, but to function normally. Miraculously, he found his way back on his bike in 2018, but suffered a season-ending dislocation of the metacarpals with torn ligaments in his right hand. Lastly, in 2019, Roxton suffered from a mystery illness that left him fatigued for much of the Supercross season, which was later determined as a variant of the Epstein-Barr virus. Roxton is back this season and off to a fast start. The championship seemed improbable entering 2020, but based on how he has bounced back from that career-threatening injury, anything can happen. We're probably going to be going to a Supercross event at least one this season, probably in February, might be going out to Las Vegas sometime in April. So we'll keep you in, keep you up to speed on that. We're also hoping to talk to a few more Supercross drivers. And at the end of last season, we were able to have some Supercross competitors on this program. So be sure to check that out by going to blog talk radio slash Speedway Digest Radio. We're now going to take a short break and listen to a selection from Ron Passan and the Pit Crew. This is 99 Speedway. Check it right away. 
Once again, that was 99 Speedway from Ron Pisana and the Pit Crew, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. This is episode 177, our first episode of 2020. This weekend, we're going to be heading up to the Rolex 24 Daytona for the for the weekend event. We're going to be going over there tomorrow morning. Should arrive at the track shortly before 10 a.m., and we'll be able to see the entire weekend of racing. That's our plan anyway. Weather forecast is a little chillier than I'd hope, but not as cold as it has been past years and definitely not as rainy. So that's a good thing. We'll be heading out there to just try and say hello to some of our friends there at the track. We're planning on saying hello to Vicki Miller, who's always fun to talk to and learn a little bit more about how she's been spending her time in the racing world. Uh, we'll also be trying to, to say hi to Tristan Nunez, although that becomes even more difficult over time because of the way that the Mazda, Mazda Motorsports team is organized now, which is fine. Tristan's always been nice to us on the on the program. He's been nice to me personally. So we wish him all the success in the world and are very happy that he'll be taking the the uh, pole position for the race there on Saturday. Also, we're going to try and say hello to a few other different people, uh, some guys who work in some of the pit crews, and we're also going to be saying hi to Kyle and Mary from View from the Treep Seeds. That'll probably take place on Saturday. Now, they are a popular YouTube channel. They also have some Facebook followers and that sort of thing. But they do have 76,000 subscribers on YouTube. So that's kind of cool that we get to say hello to them. They will be going to the Taste of the 24 this weekend. So we'll ask them on Sunday or whatever, see how that goes. And hopefully we'll be able to tell you a little bit more about that on next week's program. We also have some other, other information for you. We might be able to head out to the Supercross events, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. So that'll be pretty cool. Uh, that is always a work in progress, and I have not personally worked with the PR guy who's currently representing Supercross, but I, he seems like a good guy, and he seems like he'll be able to get some stuff done for us, and that'll be neat to, to learn a little more about two-wheel racing anyway. Um, and also, we have some, some new guests who are going to be joining us this year, a few more from, from the Waldorf Publishing Stable. I'm working on that right now. Probably at least two, maybe four in the next month or two. Uh, so that's always cool. And we're trying to get some other drivers on the show. Uh, we do have an announcement. We're going to have someone from Junior Motorsports on. I'm not going to tell you who that is right now because I like building suspense on this program at least a little bit. But be advised, it'll be someone you'll definitely want to listen to. And that will be in roughly two weeks. Let's look at the date there. Should be on the 6th of February. We're going to be talking to someone from Junior Motorsports. And it'll definitely be something you want to listen to, so be sure to tune in for that. So what sort of exciting motorsports discussion stuff is going on out in your neck of the woods? I know it's still way too chilly for, for uh, racing to get going, but anything on the horizon for you? Mm, not really. Um, I just recently reconnected with one of the guys that I was going to drive a sprint car for, but then he got hurt, and yeah, so we're talking about making that happen again, and he's also got a late model for sale that he said I can drive if he doesn't sell it, so I mean, there's that kind of stuff, but it's still pretty early, not really anything surfacing yet, but um, probably end of February, beginning of March is when all the tracks will be... um, putting out their schedules and stuff so yeah not much yet but as the months go on there will be a lot more you should have the guy give you a late model for a wedding present congratulations on your engagement and 
Hopefully that all works out really well for you, but that's what you need. You need to have, convince him to give you a race car for, for your wedding present. There you go. And thank you. You are actually not the first person to say that or suggest that. So anything <laughs> can happen. I'm not opposed to it. That would be really great. But, yeah, go. I don't know. I guess we'll just we'll have to see where this season takes us. Awesome. Once again, we're going to be having a great year here on Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder. We hope to be able to cover several different events we haven't covered in the past, including the the Supercross events, but we're also going to be heading to some other races. We're planning on going to the 12 Hours of Zebra in this year. We haven't done that in a couple of years, so that'll be pretty cool. We're also going to try and get the entire Super Sebring weekend thing where we go see the the uh, the FIA W World Endurance Championship cars as well as the IMSA cars. And as I stated, tomorrow will be the news conference where they, they announce some some more uh, connection between those two series. So that can only be a great thing for, for racing, and we hope it ends up turning into something pretty awesome. Uh, when we did did have a chance to talk to, to John Doonan in the off-season, we talked to him during the, the uh, Encore, the Michelin Encore there at Sebring, and he seemed he seemed like he was really enthused about this year, and he was happy to to say hi. He actually remembered me from a few years ago, which you never know whether he did or not, but whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, he is really excited about this year, and he's he's hoping that it's going to be a good year. He's excited about this weekend's race, and, and hopefully it's a good race. It does have fewer cars than they've ever had before in the Rolex 24, but they are a much higher quality of machine and higher quality teams, better drivers, that sort of thing. So hopefully all 38 cars that take the green flag at 1.30 p.m. on Saturday We'll take the checkered flag at 1.30 p.m. on Sunday, and that'll make it an awesome race. The weather is supposed to be okay. Uh, it's not supposed to be deathly cold. It's supposed to be a little chillier than I expected again. It'll probably be in the in the 40s at night, probably in the 60s in the day on Sunday especially. Saturday it might make it to 70. Tomorrow's going to be about the mid-70s, which is about the same as what was down here today. So that's always good. The, pro, the past two days of, of – uh, of events there in Daytona have not been wonderful. Um, today they had some rain off and on, and yesterday they actually had some some snow flurries there. Uh, so they're not really calling it snow on the on the local weather, but it was snow. You could tell it was snow. The people are there know it's snow. So uh, it was cold and it was snowing, and that doesn't make for the best racing. So at least the weather will be a lot better this weekend than it was last year. There won't be any any heavy rain. Knock on fake wood table here again. Um, but it should be a great weekend of racing, and I'm looking forward to heading up there and getting the 2020 racing season going. Be sure to check out past episodes of Thursday Night Thunder as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com slash speedwaydigestradio. The the pit stop with Tim Spain is still on their winter break. I'm not entirely sure when they'll be coming back on the air, but keep a lookout for that. And this show is all set and ready for this this year we've got a couple of episodes this month um, and then next month we'll be getting all up and ready for the racing season you can also check out the show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar I've been posting an awful lot of stuff on there lately especially about the, the Rolex 24 Daytona so be sure to check that out I also invite you to, to read all the articles covering all aspects of motorsports at SpeedwayDigest.com I've been putting a lot of stuff on there lately too mostly about the Rolex 24, but also some NHRA stuff that will be interesting to take a look at, so be sure to check that out. 
edition. If you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at my newish site, Favorflone's Fantastic Finds. There we've been covering a little bit of stuff about the South Florida Fair, and anyone who's interested in that, you can check that out there at favorflone'sfantasticfinds.wordpress.com. Also remember that on speedwaydigest.com, if you look up pig racing, you should be able to find our past information about the NPRA pig racing event there from the Hambone Express 3. We also had the guy from Hambone Express on this program. I believe it was last year. It might have been two years ago, but it's kind of cool. So be sure to, to search that out at the uh, blogtalkradio.com slash speedwaydigestradio as well. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Have a great weekend. See you next week.